Uh, good morning, church. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you uh, don't have a Bible with you, then uh, please raise your hand nice and high, or a Bible or an iPad or an iPod or some other gizmo or gadget that you can look up Bible verses on. If you have those, then scroll there or open that or whatever you have to John, the first chapter. Gospel of John, New Testament, first chapter. If you don't have one, then raise your hand nice and high and the guys in the back will bring a Bible to you. We'd love to have you read through it and follow along with us. That way you know uh, that what's being said is not the words of this man, uh, but these are uh, what we read in the Word of God. And as the first thing to settle in your heart is that what we do here is really pretty uh, remarkable, isn't it? I mean, we believe that what we read and, and what we meditate on and what we talk about every Sunday morning is the Word of God. The Spirit-breathed, uh, inspired, God-breathed Word uh, to us. And so this is a time of, of reverence and a time of uh, deep consideration, a time of enjoyment together just to get to feed on God's Word. Is it not? And it's my heart just enjoys so much hearing from the Lord. There's so many other messages out there and so, many, so much input coming from a thousand different places uh, and we get to come and just spend this time in God's Word. So John chapter 1 is where we are. Ready to pray? Lord, here we are again. Uh, for some of us, Lord, uh, it's been just minutes since we've met with you and talked with you. It's been uh, a regular part of our lives, Lord, to meet with you. For others of us, it's been quite a while since we've heard your voice. Matter of fact, Lord, not even sure we would recognize it if we did hear it. So Lord, I pray that right now that your spirit is doing something in our hearts, Lord. Waking up something that's been asleep. Preparing us, Lord, to hear just what we need, Lord. There's so many of us, Lord, we're here by faith. We're here expecting that what we experience today may not be how it's going to be next year, Lord. And we're here because of hope. We're here because of weakness, personally, Lord, knowing that when we're weak, we're strong because here we are seeking something outside of ourselves, Lord. We just confess to you our utter inability to fix our problems. Lord, we've tried and we've come up short time after time. So, Lord, finally, in humility, we're here acknowledging our need for a healer and our need for a Savior and our need to be rescued and our need to be fed, and our need to be encouraged, and our need to worship. So here we are, Lord. Our hearts are prepared before you. I pray that they're genuine and sincere, Lord. Any hypocrisy, Lord, I pray that you just get rid of that and that we can come honestly and genuinely before you, naked and open, Lord, saying, here's what we have, Lord. We just bring us. And we thank you that you don't turn any away that come to you. Speak to us from your word, Lord, your servants listen. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, all God's people said, amen. First chapter of John, Gospel of John, again, I mentioned before that this is, there are the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John is a little bit different in its nature. Uh, Wonderful Gospel, very excited about how the Lord will use this in all of our lives, uh, written by the apostle that's known uh, as the apostle of love. 
I, I can't think of a better thing than to read a gospel written by the apostle of love. And we've been looking at Jesus. The title of the, the whole study in John is Come and See. And then the question is, why should we? Why, how do we, why should we come and see who Jesus is? How do we know he is just because a preacher says it or just because uh, my neighbor says it? How do we know Jesus is God in human flesh? Why, why should we? And, and these are some of the things we'll talk about. Today we pick up in the 19th verse of chapter 1. We'll go down all the way to the 34th verse. And we get the testimony of John. So it's not just that, I mean, don't believe me. But here we have this historical figure, this fiery preacher, John the Baptist. I mean, if you know his story, this guy, I just admire him so much. He came on the scene. Now, you have to remember something. A little bit more introduction might get us a running start for today. The last prophet that was recognized as a voice of God in Israel, and that's what a prophet is. A prophet is a voice of God, was Malachi. Do you know how many years it had been since the nation had heard directly from God through a prophet, by the time John the Baptist comes on the scene, it had been 400 years. And there had been a scarcity of the Word of God. Anything They had the written, they had the Torah, <clears throat> some of those books. But for a, for a man speaking for God, it had been a long time. And in that time, uh, there had, had some things had really degraded. They had lost a lot of their unity. There were some of the Jews who had uh, really rejected the, the Greek culture, thought, wow, that's too much, too worldly, and they separated themselves. Those are the Pharisees. And there were others that really aligned themselves. They were wealthy. They aligned themselves with the government. Those were the Sadducees. Uh, there was a whole other group called the Essenes. They had, had divided into parties, different sects. Uh, so they were divided. And, and the king of Israel at that time was not a descendant of Jacob, but the descendant of Esau. How did that happen? And not only that, but there were a lot of religious problems, a lot of misunderstandings, a, a lot of religiosity, a lot of insincerity, a lot of hypocrisy, and all of these things are building up to the time where we, we are right now when all of a sudden the Word becomes flesh. And and. If I was God, if you were God, and you were going to present yourself, I mean, this is part of the remarkable thing that we see about Jesus. There was nothing special about his physical appearance. You would think that when God came down, he would be the glowing one, or the, you know, that he would be larger than life, and, and it would just be a full of, he would look like, you know, Atlas or something, and muscular and long hair, and like Thor from the movie or something. He would look, he would look the part. But he didn't. He didn't, look, he didn't meet their outward expectations. He didn't meet their military expectations. And so they go, well, is this really the one that, I mean, it, this, is, it, this is the Messiah. This is, how can that be? Well, let's see what happens. John, now verse 19, this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? They, they send a delegation. Whenever there's a crowd, people want to know what's going on. When you, you ever walked by somewhere, maybe the downtown mall, and there's a crowd there, and you look and you go, I wonder what's going on over there. Well, when John the Baptist was preaching, there is a huge, he's drawing a huge crowd. And so this gets the attention 
of the religious muckety-mucks. They decide, well, we better, we better investigate this. I mean, we're the religion police, and we need to go and see what's really going on. Not because they were concerned for people. What were they concerned about? For power. They were concerned about their own power. And wait a second, someone's drawing a bigger crowd than us? Wait a second, be careful. Be careful. We have to be careful. I have to be careful about that. Well, that church, they're drawing a bigger crowd. Well, let's go see what's going on over there. Let's go see. How can, must not be right, must not be godly if they're drawing a bigger crowd than us because everybody knows we're so much better. Well, so they hear that John the Baptist is drawing a crowd. And so John, the writer, says, hey, here's the testimony. When they come to ask him, who are you? What could he say in response to that question, who are you? Well, his dad was a priest serving in the temple. His mom was from the line of uh, the high priest, Aaron. He had a very noteworthy birth. He's drawing huge crowds. He's a, he's a, a great a revival preacher calling people to repentance and everybody's coming to be baptized by him. There's a lot of ways he could answer that question, who are you? Any of you, uh, well, a lot of you probably like me remember, what was it in the 70s, the, the Who, and they had the, the song called, Who Are You? And that's the, the song they're singing, that's the question they're asking about John, who are you? And I wonder how you would answer that question today. Who are you? What a great question. I mean, think about that. It's such a simple question, three little words. Who are you? How do you define yourself? Great question for the youth, for the young folks. Who are you? Well, let's see how he answers it, and we'll talk more about that. Verse 20 says, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. How many of you can say amen to that when you look at your own life? I mean, he doesn't say who he is. He could have gone through the whole litany of who he is. Well, I'm this, and I'm that, and I've got, look at the following I have, and I'm somebody. And all he, he defines himself in terms of Christ is, I am not the Christ. And let me tell you today, just from your pastor, I am not the Christ. I would love to be uh, able to have that. I'm not the one that died for you. You you weren't, it's not about Calvary Chapel. You see, when Paul wrote the letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, he had to deal with a very similar problem because people forget who they are. People easily get distracted by popularity and power and, and a presence and begin to forget that it's not about you. I mean, we want in, in this church for Christ to have the preeminence. Trust me, those of you that know me, it's not about Calvary Chapel. It's not about the name on the sign. Uh, that's a simple identifying marker. But believe me, we don't preach Calvary Chapel. I don't want to preach Calvary Chapel. Why? Because Calvary Chapel doesn't do anything for you in and of itself. See, I can mislead people, you can mislead people by just emphasizing or overemphasizing the name on the sign because really what people need is Christ, not the church. The church is part of that. Don't get me wrong. The church is the body of Christ, and that's an important part. But the body of Christ, without Christ, leaves people frustrated. But it's Christ. So John, this humble, powerful preacher, yet filled with humility, says, I am not the Christ. And you have to know that. If, you know, God forbid, God help me that I never fall into a a sin that disqualifies me. But if I should, it should not affect your walk with God. Why? Because I'm not the Christ. Christ is still Christ. I'm not the one that can fix your marriage. I'm not the one that can help your children. I can point you to the one who can. I'm not the Christ. 
It's a lot of pressure. And Paul says to the people in Corinth, he says, oh, you've got all these, you know, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Paul, I'm of Peter. They had all these divisions, all these denominations, you could say. And he says, wait, did, did I die for you? Did Peter die for you? The answer is no, none of, no, no. Did the Baptist die for you? Did the Methodist die for you? The more mature a person is in Christ, the less denominationally minded they become. The more mature, the less... And this is what Paul was trying to teach the people in Corinth that began to divide about their own little, I'm of here, I'm of there, you know. Hey, we, Paul says, I'm glad I didn't baptize many of you because Paul wanted it to be clear that he wasn't baptizing people into himself. Because what can we really do? Paul said, one can plant some seeds in a person's life. That's what you can do. Another says, they can water some seeds in that life. You have, anybody have a garden? You have a garden? You can plant seeds and you can water them. But can you make stuff grow? The information for growth has to be in the life in that seed. The only way something, you can plant, and, you, and believe me, I've planted and I've watered and nothing happens, both in my garden and in, the, in my ministry life. But it's only God, that can, so only God that can bring that life. And Paul recognized that. And John the Baptist recognized this. Hey, here's an opportunity to draw attention to myself, but I'm not going to do it. He says, I'm not the Christ. Well then, verse 21, they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? Maybe you're Elijah come back from the dead. They had expected Malachi chapter 4 that Malachi would come to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the children back to the fathers before the, the day of judgment. Hey, maybe, maybe he's Elijah, come back. And he says, I'm not. I wish, wish I could say I was Elijah, but I'm not. Are you the prophet? And that's a reference to a prophet uh, like Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 18. They, they kind of were expecting that, God to raise up this prophet. And he says, Nope. <laughs> Simple answer, right? Nah. Not a man of many words. Then they said to him, Who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? Hey, well then, if you're not Elijah, and you're not the prophet, then what's going on? I mean, what are your, what are your credentials? Who, what, who do you think you are to be just baptizing out here and all these people following you? Hey, who are you? What do you say? And I got the question for you again. What do you say about yourself? Isn't that a wonderful question? What do you say about yourself? Well, let's look at what John the Baptist said. He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. I am the voice of one. I'm a voice. That's, don't look at me. Hear what I'm t- Don't get distracted. You know, so often we get distracted by all of the stuff. You know, we, we look at the fancy. Well, see, that's why I love this because there's not a whole lot to get distracted about around here that's fancy, right? We don't have a lot of fancy stuff. And I'm okay with that because those things can be a distraction from actually hearing what's being preached. We can put the focus on how comfy are the seats and how nice is the media program and, and how nice is the lighting and how good is the music. And all those things are, have their place, and I'm not knocking that. But, but remember, it, it's the voice of God. It's the vo- he says, I am the voice of one. Your voice, my voice, you may not, have, you may not look real fancy. You may not have a, a, you know, a, a fancy degrees and letters after your name. But you have this thing. You have a voice, don't you? 
And you might sometimes feel like it's a very lonely voice. Like, I'm just the voice of one. What can one voice do? Listen to this quote. One voice can change a room. And if one voice can change a room, then it can change a city. And if it can change a city, it can change a state. And if it can change a state, it can change a nation. If it can change a nation, it can change the world. Your voice can change the world. If. You know who said that? It's going to blow your mind. Barack Obama. Barack Obama said that. So I'll add this caveat. If people will listen. And if your voice is worth listening to. See, it's not about your opinion. It's not about all, how wise you are about what should be and what shouldn't be and how things should be. He says, I am the voice of one crying. I'm begging people. Where? In the wilderness. Just like Noah was the voice of one, wasn't he? How many people listened to Noah? Very few. I always found it interesting. You know who did listen to Noah? His family. Don't you find that fascinating? Uh, you know, a lot of times we think it's our family that's the hardest ones to reach. But I'll submit you, to you this po- possibility that I wonder if Noah's character was such that his family said, you know, I don't know much about, he's crazy, it sounds like. But this guy uh, is a, a man who we can trust. And if he says it, we may not understand it, but we better listen. I wonder his testimony among his family must have been that strong, his life, that his family said, hey, come on kids, let's gather around. We're going to have a powwow. Uh, your dad seems a little bit off his rocker, but you know what? He's never misled us before, so I think we should listen. Okay, all right, we'll listen. And his family on the ark escaped judgment. So the voice of one crying in the desolate place. Our world is becoming a desolate place for this voice, isn't it? For the voice of righteousness. For the voice of repentance. For the voice of, hey, Christ is coming back any day. It's imminent that Christ is going to return. And we get to be that voice saying, hey, prepare yourselves. Because the second coming is coming. John got to announce the first coming. Looking forward to Christ and being able to point right there. There he is. And we get to point people to, hey, he's coming back again. I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Look in your Bible, that's capitalized, isn't it? Capital L-O-R-D. That's the word for Yahweh. So in John's mind, there is a correlation between Jesus and God. He says, this is He says, here's what I am. I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said, it's a quote from Isaiah 40. To Isaiah's gang, it meant coming back from Babylonian captivity back to Israel, back to Jerusalem. And they were going to, God was going to lead them back. And so whenever a king was traveling, he would send out the road crew. Because it wouldn't be good if the king's cart or the king's wagon or whatever he was riding in kind of hit a pothole and tossed the king out the side door that doesn't bode too well for the king so they would send out the road crew to fill in all the potholes and straighten out all the roads so that the king could come back and bring the people back lead them back and john the baptist was the one he was the road crews god's road crew preparing the way he was getting everybody ready He was calling people to repentance, wasn't he? That was his ministry. And they were being baptized for the forgiveness, uh, confession of their sins, for the remission of sins. People were being convicted. He was a fiery preacher. He would tell them, hey, you soldiers, quit roughing people up unnecessarily. Hey, you tax collectors, quit cheating people. 
And they came to him confessing their sins. And their baptism, when they were baptized by John, was a baptism of a recognition of sinfulness and needing to be, to be cleansed. And so he's the voice of one crying in the wilderness saying, hey, get, acknowledge your sin. Get ready. You have to acknowledge your sin so the Lord can come in. Hey, that rhymes, doesn't it? I didn't even do that on purpose. But it's good. But it works, though. You have to acknowledge your sin so the Lord can come in. I like that. I don't have to write that down. Sometimes I surprise myself. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees. And they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who, coming after me, is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. Um, don't you hate it when people dodge the question or don't answer the question? They ask the question, well, look, if you're not these, then, then what are you doing out here? Why, why are you baptizing? And he doesn't say, well, here's my six reasons I'm baptizing. He, does he even answer the question? No. He, said, he, he explains to them, about the one who's coming. He says, you, you think you've got problems with me? The one who's coming after me, you're really going to have problems with. And they did, didn't they? They killed him. I baptize with water. But there stands one among you, speaking of Christ, whom you do not know. And they didn't, did they? It is he who coming after me is preferred before me. And that's, that's the humility of John. John recognized that, hey, he's not, he, he's uh, the one who is going to have the, the preeminence here. It's not about me. It's not about Pastor Steve. It's not about Calvary Chapel. It's not about the Baptist church. It's, it's about the one who's worthy, the lamb who was slain. And he's, he's to be preferred before me. He says, matter of fact, I'm not even worthy to take the role of the lowest slave to bend down and I can't, I'm not even worthy to undo his shoe to wash his feet. Talk about humility and John recognizing his place in the scheme of the big picture. And, and John will, once Jesus comes on the scene, John's ministry will begin to fade into the background. And eventually he's going to be beheaded in jail. But, and, and so Jesus has to be the one, it's when Jesus is lifted up. He draws all men to himself. And so our job is to sort of fade into the background, be that voice crying in the wilderness and pointing people to him. To him. I'm not even worthy to loose this sandal strap. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. Again, he wasn't baptizing at the temple. He was in the countryside, in the desert, and people were flocking to him. It's so cool when you see a move of God. And you know, no matter... Uh, what people in the, with all the educations and all the knowledge of what things are supposed to be like, I thank God sometimes that I didn't go to seminary because I, I'm, I was just naive enough to not to know what I wasn't supposed to be able to do without a seminary degree. I'm glad I didn't, I didn't know because maybe, I, oh, well, I, I, I can't plant a church. Well, I, I, I mean, I, I never really wanted to, but this is the way it worked out. You know, I didn't really, wasn't in my five-year plan, but you know, I started teaching Bible study and people started coming. And what do you say about that? I mean, this is the testimony of John the Baptist. And you have a testimony too. And it is so strong because no one can argue with your testimony. 
I mean, when they see the guy healed of his blindness, they know, hey, isn't that the guy that was blind? Yeah, now he sees. Who did it? I don't know. All I know is that I, I used to be blind, now I see. You figure it out. They can't say to him, well, you're still blind. No, I'm not. I can see. The man healed at the gate beautifully. He jumps up and he runs around. He kicks his heels and he's, and isn't that the guy that was crippled there? Yeah, look at him now. See, you have a testimony too. And no one can argue with it. That's so strong. And it's so important. You, know, you may not know a lot of theology. You may not know all the terms and the fancy words and, and all of that. But you know this. Here's what I used to be. Someone told me about Christ. I believed it. And it changed my life. And now here's where I am now. And I look back on my life and I say, I can't believe what I was and I'm excited about what I'm going to be, and I know I'm a work in progress, and it's not because of anything or any person, but it's because of Jesus Christ and what he's done in my heart. He's changed my mind. He's rebuilt a broken life. Amen. You can clap for that. It's weird. That's us. We are the testimony of restored lives. And so when you see God at working, this is what the Henry Blackaby study, when you see God at work, go and join him there. And don't be, you know, don't cram God into your box of we got to have the most important thing or we got to be the best thing. Uh, you know, I told you, uh, maybe I told you the story, another pastor from the area, um, th- there's, a, there's a, a paper, the Rural Virginia, I think it is, that occasionally does, um, uh, they, they, for some reason they rank churches and restaurants and things like that in their paper, which I don't like, I reject that outright, but they do it, I, you know, it's not me, my job to stop them. But last year, uh, they ranked Calvary Chapel Fluvanna second of churches in the county. Now, I tell you this for a reason, not to boast, but I tell you this, and this is why. Now, I I never got a call to vote, uh, and I don't know who voted on this, so, you know, it carries no clout, okay? I just want to be clear. That carries no clout. We don't pat ourselves in the back and go, yes. But here's the reason I tell you the story, is because another pastor in the area approached me and said he had seen it in the paper and said, I see it in the paper that Calvary Chapel ranked second. And what I think is remarkable is that you don't even have a church building. And yet, somehow you're making an impact in the county. It's because God is at work among us. And they can come and say, well, how, who, what's going on over there at that school? And what's happening over there? You know, and that's what they're trying to do. Is when you see God at work, don't be upset because it doesn't fit into how you think God should work. Make sure it's a true work of God. That, it's a, that there's repentance. There's a lot of false things that are... That are uh, accredited to God and the Spirit, but they're not of God. They're of the flesh. But a true spiritual work, you will know why. Because it's humble, and, and it's based on confession and repentance, and a true power of God. And when you see that, then it's just, when you see, and no one, and here's the thing about a true work of God, no single man can take credit for it. And usually it spans, if you study revivals, it spans not just one church, it's, it's, it's an, a whole area. And therefore, no one can take credit for it. God gets the glory. And there's John, he's just, I'm baptizing and people are coming and God is moving, God is preparing their hearts for the coming one. These things were done by the Jordan where John was baptizing. Then the next day John saw, verse 29, Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of of the world. What a ministry. John had, he was the last of the Old Testament prophets 
uh, he's able to point to Jesus and say, take a look, folks. There he is. And, and maybe they wouldn't have ever, they wouldn't have, re- they wouldn't have known, they wouldn't have recognized him. God told John who he was, so the one who's going to, the spirit is going to descend upon. We'll talk about that in a minute. But he, he points to him and says, behold, and they were cousins, John and Jesus, the Lamb of God. Why does he just say, hey, there's the Messiah? What's this Lamb of God thing? And a lamb seems like a funny animal to, to pick. Well, if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, then this may be confusing to you. But if you are, you know that there are multiple references to the sacrificial and substitutionary system. Substitutionary system, yes. It means that in the Old Testament, under the law, God allowed when you sinned, See, because the Bible says the soul that sins shall, shall surely die. The wages of sin are death. But God does this incredible thing. He allows a substitute. And that substitute is an, is an innocent animal. You ever, you ever hit an animal with your car? We were coming home from Philadelphia last night. And, oh, I hit a raccoon last night. Oh, maybe you can groan. Oh, it was, you feel so bad. You just feel so bad. Because, you know, that poor animal, he was just running across the road. And you just feel, you know, any, whenever you take a life, you know, it's just, uh, you don't feel good about that. And I felt awful about it. But imagine every time you take the freedom to sin, you've got to go out to your flock and, and you've got to grab a lamb. And you've got to bring that lamb to the temple. And there, and there at the temple, you lay your hands on that innocent animal. And that symbolically transfers what you've done to that animal. You're laying your sins on that animal. And then that animal is sacrificed in your place as a sin offering to restore the relationship between you and God. To pay the price for what you took the liberty to do. Or actually, really, it was unintentional. There's, there's a lot of, we, we sin unintentionally more than we sin intentionally, I think. And so the, the lamb, they would lay the hands on it and sacrifice. And then not only that, but every day, day after day, week after week, year after year, in the temple, they sacrificed two lambs. One in the morning, one in the evening. To, they kept the fire burning all the time for this regular covering for the sins of the people. And all it could do, see if it worked, if it was, it was a thorough uh, dealing with sin, then they'd go and they sacrifice the lamb and be done. But they had to do it day after day after day after day until Jesus, who was the perfect, spotless, sinless lamb of God, who takes away, not just covers over, but takes away the sin of the world. You know, our world's got a lot of problems, doesn't it? And the root of every one of them is sin. It's the pro- all of the problems in your life, if you're having marriage problems, if you're having parenting problems, if you're having any other kind of work problems, relationship problems, the, the root is sin. Either you're sinning, or someone else is sinning, or you're both sinning, and every time he sins, you sin in exchange, and you return sin for sin, and, and sin just causes so much problem. What God's called us to do is love. Love each other. But when we choose not to do that and choose to sin, it, it brings a, a dis-ease, dis-ease, disease, dis-ease, lack of health. And so John points and says, hey, behold the Lamb of God 
referencing the Old Testament, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who's preferred before me, for he was before me. He was eternal. I did not know him. I mean, John says, hey, they were cousins. He said, I didn't know. I didn't understand this. I didn't recognize him for whatever. I mean, that's hard to understand. But he says, I didn't know him. After me comes one that was preferred before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness. This is his record. This is what he's saying. This is his testimony. This is the evidence he's presenting to you and to me today. John bore witness saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove and remained upon him. Luke tells us that... uh, that the Spirit descended on Jesus in bodily form. The Spirit descending upon Jesus. John baptizing you. John said, hey, I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. But Jesus said, we, you have to do this to fulfill all righteousness. This is what's right. Because if Jesus never got baptized, guess what you'd say to me? Well, Jesus never got baptized. Therefore, I don't have to get baptized. Well, evidently, it was important enough to be baptized. Jesus wasn't being baptized for his sin, was he? Somebody say no. Right. That's not why. But because it was right, he was setting an example of what's right for you and for me. And listen, this is so very important. It was at his baptism that the Spirit of God descended on on him like a dove, gently, visibly, I don't know what that looks like, I can't fathom it, but that's what the Bible says. And, and this is the baptism that Jesus came to baptize with the Spirit. And, and let me tell you, we're going we're gonna to dunk some people in water. And, and unless the Spirit of God is immersed, unless you're immersed into the Spirit of God in your life uh, for a new life, then, that, then you're just getting a bath. Unless you're, you really believe unless you are willing to trust God, then you're just getting wet. In and of itself, it, it's, a, it's a ritual that we do that symbolizes the old person dying, that, that old self. I want to, you know, I say that about that person. You guys don't know me. If you talk to my college friends, people, you would say, oh man, that's Pastor Steve. That's what he used to do. Yeah, I'm not the man I used to be. I wasn't born with a Bible. I was born with sin. God had to do a work in my life and and I have a completely and utterly new life because of Jesus Christ. And and the symbol of that is the funeral of baptism and the resurrection of baptism coming up out of the water. It's a new life. And how does God appropriate that for you? He fills you with His Spirit. That's the baptism you want. I want to be, you need to be immersed in the life of God. And anything else will be not do. That's what the word baptism means. It means to be immersed. We immerse in water, but the real picture, folks, the real picture is being immersed in the life of Christ. Are you immersed in the life of Christ? This is how Jesus was identified. Verse 33, I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said unto me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on Him, this is He who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So instead of water, I mean, holy just means simply separate. A separate 
uh, a distinct, a different life. Spirit is breath or life. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, coming upon you for power to live for God in this fallen world. And man, you know, I wish people turned green or something visible would happen. You know, I remember there's someone in the church, I remember praying for her, with her, in our driveway. You know, we just, you know, she had come to us and was just struggling with wanting to live the Christian life. I want to live the Christian life, but struggling with that. And we said, well, have you ever been baptized with the Holy Spirit? I don't know, I, I never heard of that. Never, don't know what that's all about. So we said, well, you know, we don't want to impose, but would you mind if we laid hands on you and prayed for you to receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit? And so we did. And she didn't turn green. She didn't break out in polka dots or fall on the floor and shake. She didn't speak in tongues, nor did Jesus when the Spirit of God came upon him. But what happened was we began to see a change in her life. It's, it's real. That, that living the Christian life isn't about what you can muster up. You need God's help to live a, a separate life, to live for Christ. And we'll talk more about the baptism with the Holy Spirit. I'm just reading to you what's here. This is what Jesus came to do. He came so that you could have the life of Christ, that you could be immersed in it. And this is what John said, I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. That's his story. So you may not believe me, but John the Baptist is one of the greatest, the greatest prophet, Old Testament-wise, that ever lived. Greatest man born of women, the Bible tells us. So I'm going to invite the praise team back up. And uh, obviously not a complete teaching on what it means to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Uh, You know, if God, the Bible also says if God, if, if we as parents love to give good gifts to our children, how much more does God want to give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? How do I appropriate, how does this happen? Hey, we'll explain to you at your baptism the Holy Spirit filling your life, being baptized. But for today, here's what we've been offering. You know what? If you say, I need help. I want everything. Is there anybody that says, I want everything God has for me? Okay, so if you've never been, never heard of what it means to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, then after church or during, whenever the Lord moves you, whether it's during the last song or after everybody leaves, then just come up and say, hey, I don't really understand it, but I understand now that that's what Jesus came to do, baptized with the Holy Spirit. And, and I've never heard of that. I, I don't think it's ever happened to me. And I, I think if that's what Jesus came to do, then I want it. I want to be baptized. I want to be immersed by Jesus into the Holy There's this life of the Spirit. I want to be immersed in that. That's what I, I, want to, I don't want to be immersed in the world anymore. Are you immersed in the world? It's like your whole life around the world? I'm offering you something better, richer, fuller, eternal. It's the Spirit of God. And you can be baptized. We'll lay hands on you. We'll pray for you to receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit.